Thank you for joining the Ross Republic podcast. Your hosts, digital banking experts Mikko Riikkinen and Adrian Clare, provide deep dive analyses on industry-defining developments and discussions with industry professionals and fintech entrepreneurs. The podcast offers actionable insights into the future of banking and the subject matters directly impacting the transformation and daily grind of financial services. In Ross Republic's very first podcast, Mikko and Adrian discussed the effects of the global regulatory trend of opening up the gold mines of incumbent banks and the drive to increase competition, foster innovation, make payments more secure and strengthen consumer protection. The last few years have seen an ongoing debate on what exactly should the open banking initiatives become and how to implement them. Furthermore, the role of traditional banks has been under intense discussion with many predicting that open banking will lead to a dramatic change of the market. After the hype, however, reality usually kicks in. API-driven banking is a perfect example of how the effects of new technologies and regulations are overestimated in the short term and furthermore perhaps underestimated in the long term. Now, as the dust has settled somewhat after PSD2 came into effect roughly a year ago, it is a good time to review what has happened in the field of open banking and to evaluate whether the market has really changed. And here's Adrian Clare from Ross Republic kicking things off. So, the first episode, Open Banking and Platforms. Um, let's start with uh, a short intro about um, what Open Banking and Platforms is about. And I think the um, global regulatory direction within the banking industry is super clear right now. Um, basically, the data gold mines of incumbent banks are opened up. And um, the intention is to increase competition, foster innovation, make payments more secure, and also to strengthen consumer protection. And of course, everyone knows um, there are two really big examples of really good open banking initiatives. Um, one is the open banking initiatives by uh, the CMA in the UK. Um, and of course, PSD2, the second um, revised directive on payment services in the European Union. And I think over the past years really um, many people have discussed and argued about what exactly open banking um, should become um, how it can be implemented and especially the role of the traditional banks has been intensively discussed and um, many predicted that open banking will lead to a dr dramatic change in the market and I think um, yeah it's a super good example how technologies and regulations are overestimated in the short term and maybe also underestimated in the long term And actually, one year ago in September um, 2019, PSD2 finally came into effect. So now might be a really good, um, inst like a really good, uh, perfect timing to um, review what happened so far in the field of open banking. If the market has really changed, if payments got more secure, if customers got better products out of it. Um, so let's talk about that. Yeah, I think it's podcast. actually a really good, really good start for the discussion. And, and uh, um, If I start from my perspective, uh, I'm actually a bit surprised that not so much has happened or yeah. or I guess it's the same as what always happens that you kind of underestimate the, or like overestimate the short term change in technology and then underestimate the long term. That basically when PSD2 and uh, open banking kind of ideation started, I think back in 2017. No, it started already before that. Okay. Like 15 or so, like kind of banks started to discuss that we should well there will be this maybe this regulation and we should open up APIs and yeah. we start would start to collaborate with different providers and we would need this technology that the assumption was that okay PSD2 is going to come and then everything will change overnight well obviously it didn't it yeah. didn't <coughs> so and it's I see that there's a bit of a risk that now since it didn't change all at once that um, 
we won't like some of the banks won't take it seriously and then the let's say five years ten years from now we will suddenly realize that hey actually this now changed in a way that we didn't even expect it to change yeah and i think that's uh, that's one kind of key take on it that uh, like how do we understand open banking and and uh how should we how should we approach it because in my eyes it's not not only technology it's actually something much bigger like the whole setup of opening up your apis is it's not just a technical solution it's actually yeah it's that's the bigger thing in uh, Finnico. how do you see it yourself yeah yeah i think um like after one year it's pretty clear that it really didn't dramatically change the market um it felt more like chaos last year where everyone exactly. was still rushing to meet the um, regulations and yeah, i think it was very regulatory driven so not uh, especially the traditional banks they didn't really see that from an innovation angle but rather as something that is basically required by law so they need to have the psd2 apis ready and so on and um so that was yeah that was um just the case and uh, i think it's it's definitely disappointing when you think about what you would have um envisioned for an open banking uh, yeah, yeah i would reality. have sub- somehow expected uh, much like much more yeah. like just uh, not just meeting the minimum requirements i understand that you have limited resources to to yeah. use and then for sure you need to meet the requirements but it kind of it, the re- the regulatory requirements took all of the focus yeah. and people pushed towards that one and now it's kind of every bank has its developer.banksname.com yeah. and uh, and then they just assume that okay well if we build it they will come yeah. <laughs> exactly and I mean it's um like it's definitely also not a reality in the in the like in the mass market. Like no, like normal consumers don't really know about open banking. And if you look at the statistics, how many actually use a um, personal finance manager, for example? And exactly. Uh, I mean that's uh, it, it's still very like really in its inf- infancy. And um, yeah, the typical use cases definitely I think are limited to account aggregation and payments, um, like direct account to account payments. And um, yeah, and there's not much more that you can really do now with the psd2 as it is um so some banks have then developed uh, account aggregation or multi-banking uh, applications so that was maybe one one effect now after the first year that um, some banks opened up to the idea that you can integrate other banks accounts into your own um, universe to let customers have a better overview of their spending and so on um, but that's it so that i think um that the, the, I think in general the use cases that you could have built are anyways a little bit limited so that's why we don't see a huge wave of new open banking applications um, but if I'm thinking back from last year after the introduction it was definitely more a disruption than a really great innovation that streamlines processes um, exactly. just for, as an example like in Germany um, there was already before PST2 different ways to uh, get access to bank accounts data, um, yeah, like fin- f- fin- like FTS and and so on. F- and Figo and stuff, right? Yeah, and f- yeah, Figo yeah. was one of the earlier earliest ones that first used screen scraping, I think, and then um, yeah. and then uh, the also used the PST2 and open banking APIs as an aggregator. Yeah. Um, but for example, if you already used as a SME your accounting tools, um, uh, most of them already had access to your bank accounts. You could see your balances already in in the in this that external like third-party providers exactly yeah. yeah so we had that already and now through psd2 obviously uh, the banks were basically forced to provide an api for that which has less functionality than the old school pipes that they were using <laughs> so, ah, um, yeah, true. so so you were so as a consumer i think 
um, you you heard of PSD2 more in a negative way. Yeah. Um, you, you got strong customer authentication, which has to be renewed every 90 days. Um, so suddenly you need your banking app changes, you know, uh, you, you need new ways to log in. Um, there's more friction. Of course, it's it's done with a consumer protection in mind, um, but from a customer experience perspective, it definitely was a drawback. And, um, and yeah, when it comes to integrating software to the banks, that was also a step back um, because suddenly, for example, your accounting tool was able to integrate with your local bank's mm -hmm. account and after this disruptive phase of PSD2, not anymore um, because they, they were forced to use the new PSD2 um, applications yeah. or pipes and not everything worked well, as we know. <laughs> not every bank used the same standard and so on. So that was a massive, massive undertaking for anyone who had the previous connections to the banks to switch to PSD2. Um, so I think from that perspective, also the consumers, they saw that more as a disruptive event and not something that really opened up innovative new solutions. If we if we talk about open banking, by the way, what would be, like if we start from the bank's perspective, yeah. <coughs> what is your, um, like what is the kind of, oh, who did it the best so far in Europe? Yeah. Like open banking as a, like the concept itself, was there somebody who was first or what's yeah. your favorite if you think of open banking? Yeah, it's difficult to say. I mean, I, like my definition of open banking is basically that banks become more and more a platform. Yeah. So you have a two-side model. First of all, banks take in data and products and show them or curate them for their own customers yeah. to improve their own offerings. And at the same time, they open up their own products and data for third parties that can do interesting stuff with that. And, and I mean, well, there was this hard deadline. Everyone had to have the PSD2 basic functionalities. Um, and that's, that's what I think most banks approached it, that you have to have this developer portal um, yeah, exactly. And, and it, it, it's yeah. quite funny because it's uh, like there, there is not like a clear standard how you should do it. Yeah. But it seems like this developer.banksname.com yeah. approach kind of became the as norm. the sand, yeah, the norm. Yeah. And then everybody did nearly the same, like dividing the, yeah. like listing the listing the APIs yeah. and uh, the the SD kind of case or or those. Yeah. And, and <coughs> grouping them as, you know, these are the regulative APIs and then we do some kind of premium APIs on top. Yeah, but, yeah, but not but everyone uh, has done that as well. Yeah, even um, some, are, some are even missing that one now at the moment. So even that one didn't qualify yeah. as a standard for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I know from Deutsche Bank that they have some pre really interesting premium APIs for corporate customers. Um, but still, if you, if you review the API platforms of most banks, a lot of the interesting APIs are still in sandbox environment, they're not live. Um, I think they're still waiting for for external parties to approach them with good ideas of what they want, like of what they would like to build. And then they provide the API for that maybe, if you're lucky. So it's, it's definitely more focused on the functional APIs required by PSD2 law. Um, and yeah, like when it comes to use cases in open banking that you really see a leader, it's difficult, I think there's not it's uh, yeah, it's really uh, disappointing <laughs> that there's not really one of making leader. I, I'm thinking a little bit about BBVA. Yeah, same uh, thing. Yeah, same came to my mind as yeah. well. That for me, it looks like the BBVA, uh, like at least quantity-wise, they have been opening up. I think the most APIs. I think there were yeah. like dozens yeah. of APIs for different use cases. Absolutely, and uh, and of course you need to think about the best job for whom and who's a leader. 
for which target group? Of course, for developers, they need a really good developer experience. Exactly. And, and uh, the big banks have the budget to maybe create a nice UX and nice um, sandbox environment. But I think that's totally new for them. Like from a fintech perspective, they're like, you know, the, the, the modern providers that provide fintech infrastructure for them, that's the starting point that you have a really good sandbox that you don't even need to talk to a sales guy. You can just try out and try and see what's, what's happening. Exactly. Banks are not like that. You need to still fill out a, a form yeah. if you want to get access to their APIs. And then two weeks later, some, some, if you're, yeah, someone contacts you and then it's just a very, really slow and new process for the banks as well. So I think from a developer experience point of view, yeah, difficult. Um, and from a consumer point of view, what did you really get now from PC to an open banking or which bank really drives something? That yeah, I, think, I think, yeah, Deutsche Bank has multi-banking, um, but of course I feel like that's a hygiene feature now, even like Revolut now has it as well. And um, at some point everyone will aggregate everyone, like everyone's bank account. So that's, yeah, exactly. That's, um, I think that's clear and but that's actually yeah. a good um, like if you kind of if we kind of uh, um, stick to the bank's perspective that uh, in my eyes um, banks are also underestimating the amount of work they need to put in like it's not enough if they do this kind of platform for open banking yeah they also need to have something they need to have work force budgeted for these yeah. uh, collaborations to come and I think that's something what easily they forget that they just uh, concentrate. Okay, we invested in this platform. Yeah. Now our APIs are there and the documentation is there for somebody to use. Yeah. But I guess in most of the like you, you referred to the like the startup coming with the idea to the to the bank and talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, I like the feeling that I've been getting from the market is is that the banks have been realize that okay well if we get this really cool startup to collaborate with yeah uh, we actually need to also invest I don't know three months of our coder time I don't know yeah five FT is for three months or something yeah. in order to build it up because it quite sh- quite uh, there's a good chance that the APIs we created don't match one-on-one yeah. just like this or how do you feel it yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's the case. Um, but uh, but of course, it's it's new for the banks to build up something like that. I think um, it first, as I said, like started with a regulatory mindset that you need to provide certain uh, APIs uh, at a certain time, and that's that's what has driven most of those open banking initiatives. And then some banks went beyond and and said, okay, actually. I think it really starts with this mindset change that you have internal data and products available that could be super interesting for third parties and you don't always need to shut shut down and only you know have this walled garden where you provide where you think you provide the best stuff for your customers and um, you know no one else understands what what those customers should get I think there's this and as soon as you have this mindset switch that open banking is also a, a big opportunity um, to really engage with the external ecosystem, which could be developers, which could be which could be fintechs, which could be other corporates um, in your home market, and um, then that's when you begin to think about those sort of premium APIs or basically beyond PC2 APIs, um, and then starting investing in in developer experience. And I think everyone is still f- actually figuring it out. Like, do you have to have internal developers also as a capability to, if someone really knocks on your door that you should be able to do you ready exactly yeah. because then the one who knocks the door is expecting for you to also react as quickly as, yeah. <laughs> as they do yeah and <clears throat> and actually uh, if we kind of take that and and switch the perspective to the to the startup side or to the fintech startup side yeah or 
partner side, uh, based on what would you actually choose the partner, like the banking partner? Like we yeah. talked about the, the tech part, so obviously there's a coder. Um, like the like it needs to be it needs to be somehow attractive to the business side. Yeah. Needs to look good, but it also needs to have the um, like the coder friendly, so to say, yeah. de- developer friendly. Absolutely, yeah. Like, how would you choose yeah. if you would be now a new fintech? You would yeah. be certain for a banking partner yeah. based on what you would you make your decision. Yeah, I mean, I would actually, if I would like to get, if it's about um, aggregating and getting data from from a certain market I wouldn't go to a bank I would go to someone like uh, Tig for example yeah like exactly an aggregator like a, actually yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, if because um, I think it actually well it's a good question because when does it happen that you only need to tap into the data of one specific bank maybe you're looking at the top yeah. three banks in a market that have the biggest market share and then uh, you spend time on developing a sp- you know plugging into their APIs um, and then yeah, I would look at market share basically, and and just hoping that um, they offer a good uh, developer um, experience. experience. So yeah. that's that's a really big thing. Um, obviously, looking at their kind of APIs um, that that they have certain functional APIs and maybe more interesting beyond PSD two APIs, f- which provides me with data that I can use. Um, which banks have anyways like KYC data or um, pr- you know um, proof of address um, credit credit scoring APIs stuff like that um, but of course it would be way I think that's also the reason for being of all the, the things of this world that mm-hmm. it's impossible to connect to every single bank on your own because they all have different uh, API um, configurations exactly so you choose the aggregator um, so I think that would even be my first point of view except if I Actually, a bank would need to offer um, banks that go uh, APIs that um, go beyond PSD2. If you if you think about it, because yeah, the PSD2 it's APIs it's you can get them through the aggregators and you get immediate access to thousands of banks in across across Europe or in your home market. Um, but if you really that's actually a good point. Yeah. Like basically, like from the startup perspective, if you need the PSD2 related APIs, why yeah. would you even contact the bank? Yeah. Why why wouldn't you just go to a, uh, to like an aggregator service? Yeah and then talk to them they have all of the you know best documentation i'm quite sure yeah. and they have all of them bundled in, in yeah. one yeah let's do let's say i do um you know subscription management so that i automatically track all the transactions that are recurring each month and then i show you a list of your netflix and youtube subscriptions and help you to manage it or your electricity bills why would i do that only with one bank like uh, it would be great to have that for, for all of the banks for which would increase the value proposition for my customers but maybe i have um, an insurance product or something very specific where I think this would be amazing for a certain bank's customers, like let's say the, the biggest ones in the market, like in Germany, like Deutsche Bank or Commerzbank, um, then I would approach them and see what kind of APIs are they offering that would maybe help me to um, improve my offering by getting in the data. And then I think what most banks also try to do and how they position themselves is that they also help you to market your services to their own customers so as an entry door like deutsche bank for example does that that if you provide if you use the apis and you have a nice use case like in the um in the case of finance guru which is a pfm tool um they also push that in their own marketing and um but that's a special case because they're invested in them i think as well so um yeah to, to be attractive to fintech companies it takes more than the api portal i think that's for sure yeah, to, that's uh, for sure. Yeah. <coughs> exactly, and then for I think the yeah I think the company to collaborate with directly with a bank, 
uh, they need to get something more out of it. One could be the resources, kind of one could be yep. this that okay, well, this bank actually takes us seriously. They want to invest their, I don't know, people or yeah, coders or something. Developers. Exactly, they want to um, kind of uh, co-create something yeah. new with yeah. us. Especially on eye level, I think that's also a mindset yeah. thing, a culture thing. Um, I mean, even when I worked at Holvi and I look at how traditional banks work, it's two different worlds. Mm. So, and yeah, I think that's also a big, actually a big point of advantage if you have a bank that um, speaks the language of tech and startups. Um, to I think no one would like to deal with, you know, old school old school bankers. Um, I think banks still have this image image gap you know that they're not the ones that are seen as the innovators and the, the ones the, the leaders that bring out amazing new digital propositions um, and if I'm a startup uh, in the best case I would like to see that the bank has people that speak my language that understand my needs um, from a developer perspective but also from a business perspective um, and that maybe also has some sort of fast track innovation program where obviously connecting to the APIs and you know getting the keys getting sandbox assets that's one thing but that's that's the easiest thing to solve actually but at the same time it's the ones that banks focus on now but what else do you need like it's um, like the high exactly it's like the hygiene level what exactly, you said before okay. that yeah you need product discovery you need someone that really understands your product and business model um, and can help you to tap into the bank's resources and pushing your product um, you need you need a special you know um, innovation process maybe that helps you after you have connected to the apis um, how to bring it to the customer how to make sure you're really understanding the problem you're solving um, how to make sure then if you have deli- delivered a value proposition based on the APIs um, that this is something that really that you have like this uh, solution problem fit so um, yeah that are all different a lot of different topics that are sort of in the background and the API platform that anyone has now is really the tip of the iceberg mm, so exactly. yeah I think there's still a lot of work to do um, is there um how do you see like where do you see this all of this kind of ending or like yeah. leading to like yeah. you know have been discussions about uh, we talked about uh, banks as platforms and yeah. and so on or or then ending up ending up like kind of a white label pipes under under the hood is yeah. that the direction or is there something can can bank be kind of the front end do you see that happening and if so yeah, how how would that work yeah, it's a good question. I think um, you have a few strategic options as a bank. It could be you go on as forever and you just see that as a compliance exercise mm. and you have some internal unit that takes care of API compliance. Um, they provide the functional APIs. Um, you have the developer.bank.com and that's it. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, and then the question is um, how long will that go on if yeah, you can survive even like that because it will happen that you know, startups are taking your APIs. Um, they they will integrate your account information and they will provide payments in their own environments. So, um, yeah, and now with this whole banking as a service trend, which allows you to, in a modular basis, to integrate more and more financial services, at some point, those solutions will probably be as good as your bank. And, or, I mean, from a user experience, even better. So w- what do you need your bank for then? And I think that is then this typical being the dump pipe uh, argument where the bank is just providing the basic accounts um, maybe some loans um, but that's it and they're losing they're losing more and more market share in in payments in cards in 
um, you know, in losing the customer relationship, then it's about really understanding your finances and making sure you're managing it smartly. Um, so just going on as always is, I would say, not an option. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be something new. And um, and uh, traditionally, the banks had this super linear value uh, value chain where you mostly developed your stuff in-house. You know, you you have your account your accounts, and you have some anchor products like mortgages and loans. Um, maybe you're you're doing some savings as well, and you're just pushing it out through the market, mostly through branches, and 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 that's it. And the customer has nothing to say. <laughs> so exactly. And, 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 honest, it <coughs> like that. Yeah. and then you uh, then you have the customer for their like lifetime for for their lifetime, and then yeah. just cross sell on top of the. Yeah first products that you sold exactly and this lock-in is missing or it's yeah. it breaking up now so so the lock-in is less and less or this model is less and less effective so in the future um it's it's already happening that the banks are becoming more and more a platform and they're forced to become a platform where at least from the uh from the provider side now they're they're being opened up so they need to provide the, the customer data of course if if the customer gives consent to a third party but um if you look at the future, how this is going, more and more people will do it. If if you know there's a justification that you get a better experience and better products, um, better recommendations, um, better credit um, offerings, and so on. So, what it means then is that banks need to have a, a new business model strategy and a platform strategy, where you where you have like this two-sided place marketplace where you provide stuff, but you also you collaborate with others to, to create better products. Um, so you enrich your own offerings with external data and products. Um, and at the same time, um, yeah, you're offering your own data to, to third parties, which then, um, you know, develop their own and improve their own offerings with it. Um, and that's a completely new model, um, like the API revenue model. So you have revenue share or pay-per-use. Um, that's a completely new world. Um, so I think every bank needs to find their own position in this whole ecosystem not everyone will be the biggest platform provider like this this typical super app where you just go through and you get everything there um, some will probably find the niche in being just the infrastructure provider um, smaller banks will open probably open up and integrate like in a smart way and curate other solutions for their own customers to be more attractive um, so it really depends on the bank like if you're a big universal bank if you're a small local bank um, everyone needs to find this new, this new position and this new value chain. I think that's super exciting. Yeah, and um, that's actually a really good point because the, uh, the they would somehow need to clarify. Like I think every bank needs to clarify their, they, or they need to revisit their strategy. Let's yeah. put it like this, and then they need to also figure out um, what those words mean, yeah. like. They, you know, they set up their vision, like, let's be da-da-da in yeah. the world. And of course, everyone now wants, wants to be the number one. Exactly. Everybody uh, wants to be the number one. Yeah. But then due to kind of this, uh, that's actually a really good word, what you brought up is the, uh, like, the lock, lockdown, lockdown effect. Yeah, yeah. Lock-in. Yeah. Lock, lock-in effect that you, since you can't lock, like, you, you can't assume that your customers will always stay with you. Yeah. They're actually much easier taking their data with them, moving to another provider, and actually, there might be a, an, some other provider that serves the same or even better services yeah. with zero cost. And since the customer is kind of more flexible to ch- switch, yeah. it your words such as empty, empty and hollow. If you can't deliver yeah. them, like you need to actually live up to the to the things that you say much more yeah. than you used to. 
Absolutely, yeah. So I think there's, um, of of course, this is this needs to become a top management topic. Um, I think at the moment you still see a lot of internal units that are still treated as some sort of weird add-on to the IT department that just takes care of the APIs. Um, but give it, like if you're talking about a future outlook, I think. Um, a good benchmark could be the big technology companies like Amazon, for example, yeah. and yeah. Google, which are API first. Um, and there's a really interesting story from Jeff Bezos, um, I think that was even 10 years ago, where he just sent out an email and told everyone, you know, for up, up from a certain date in like half a year, yeah. every single department needs to offer an API. And if you're not willing to do it, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a really, really hard uh, decision, but that, um, that obviously kickstarted this mindset change to have the service mindset that everything my department is doing should be accessible over an API. And that only started with an internal collaboration. So, you know, department, another department, like the warehouse department should be connected to the purchasing department or whatever. Yeah. And everything should be possible over APIs. Um, and then from there, they opened it, it up to the outside world as well. That's super interesting. And, yeah, like yeah. Because that kind of forces your organization to see yeah. or understand what an API thinking means. And yeah. 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 So it was a hard top down decision. Um, but yeah, so I think that with the banks, it's already happening that, of course, you have already some internal APIs, but this could be done on a much, much larger scale and more efficiently that the banks internally, of course, this all is connected to this whole microservice and cloud shift discussion as well, but that you have like internal APIs that improve efficiencies internally, and then you already have a really good business case. Um, yeah, you, one, one yeah. thing where I see this actually where this could make a really big difference is this, that um, many of the banks are organized in this business line uh, yeah, way that you have kind of private customers, one business line, and it has its own KPIs and own, I don't know, budgeting and so on. And then there's a yeah. business banking line, and then there's a corporate yeah. banking or large customers or something. And and then those business lines don't, or like the segments don't talk with each other too much. Yeah. But if you would kind of force them to think themselves through this API thinking that, yeah. hey, you need to actually create an access to your organization yeah. in XYZ. It doesn't need to even be like a real technical solution, yeah. but more this mindset, then they would start to maybe understand as an organization that, hey, how does this whole thing work? That we yeah. have this, our own box, our own organization, which opens up, yeah. uh, you know, imaginary API to yeah. another business line, another segment. Yeah. And, and then we just change exchange information through that that's yeah. an interesting yeah exactly, an interesting yeah. thought so that you have this internal api platform first yeah where you can whatever you do before you decide anything you need to check it and see and of course that, that cor correlates to new kpis and new measures for success that the more you use apis from your colleagues the better you're gonna uh, get graded internally that kind of thing yeah, yeah, that, exactly. that, that really fosters this collaboration and uh, you know a cooperation approach um, and uh, yeah, so as soon as you have that within the organization, then of course, that's that's much easier than to um, to to put uh, put it outwards and really col collaborate with fintechs, with large corporates, with anyone. Exactly, because um, you have the mindset then yeah. to do this. Yeah. yeah, because at the moment, what you're who you're talking to is someone from the API department, and they're like the cushion between the fintech and the bank, and it still needs to be there because it would be such a hard. You know, difference between the outside world, uh, fintechs and co like other API consumers. Yeah. Um, they don't speak the same language. They don't have the same KPIs. They don't have the same processes, the same approaches. 
So there, there's still there's there's still the API unit needed to make sure there's to build a bridge basically. And I think if you have this internal API mindset, um, at some point you don't need to have this bridge anymore because every every single department, every single uh, product that you're offering, the data you have will have an API that can also be productized for the outside world. And I think that's the super interesting business model change as well, where you see your data and products as an asset that you can really commercialize in new ways, like distributing loans over an API to credit platforms, for example, or to um, to offer new payment services for an Uber or something exactly. like that. And BBVA, BBVA has understood it already, um, and they're doing it in Mexico with Uber um, and delivering that as a... As a as a platform for Uber drivers, um, or for Uber basically, who then um, delivers Uber branded um, cards and accounts for the drivers. So that this really opens up a huge new world, also for, for um, strategic directions and business models. Um, yeah, so I think uh, if we take another year and do a review, we will see hopefully more and more use cases, and especially the banks that they really take this API topic seriously. Yeah, that they start to understand themselves also part of the, as part of the business, not just somebody yeah. kind of coming and stealing from our home base. Exactly. <laughs> that, yeah. that you yeah. can actually, <coughs> uh, like it's, uh, I think in the best best way to use is really this, uh, more what you said, two, two-sided or like two-direction yeah. discussion that you you give, uh, give something, but you also gain something back in exchange. Yeah. Um, how do you see, like, What's your tell? Uh, where do you, what do you see as the the next big thing? You know, like we've seen now a lot of yeah. Like when basically when open banking came came, I think the assumption was all the all of these like personal finance management tools and yeah. aggregated overviews and I don't know better access to information and maybe some illustration, but like illustrative uh, yeah. models like how did I spend money exactly. and, and so on. Uh, what do you see as the next big thing? Like, how yeah. is this data going to be used? Yeah. Um, like. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's really um, the use case is so limited at the moment to aggregation and payments, and of course, uh, to increase efficiencies with like credit analytics through account assets, and that's it. So, mm. so I think what needs to happen next, um, and I think PSD three is already being drafted, and in general, this open bank. Uh, open data initiative in the whole European Union will, will also be part of that to basically enforce more and more companies to uh, to you know offer more and more data over APIs and um, yeah so that means going beyond the scope of PC2 like getting access to not only like current accounts but also maybe savings accounts um, and opening up more data um, I think that would help to to really also then redefine about the value propositions that you can build with this data, which are, I mean, it's it's, it's just super limited at the moment. So, um, so yeah, I hope I hope uh, well, yeah, I hope that this um, will bring out more, yeah, more more opportunities for API consumers. Yeah, and, and what I see as the like as the next next venue we <coughs> we have been talking about um, um, kind of thought driven models there's this uh, German Tomorrow Bank for example yeah. and that there's some kind of bigger meaning behind and like uh, Infuse brought the CO2 um, CO2 calculator yeah. model I think like something like this could be that there's that you have 
you still have kind of the technical access to your data yeah and then you connect that to a meaning somehow yeah. like some kind of meaning for it absolutely and, yeah. and then that is that's creating this community of people who share the same values or yeah. thoughts or i don't know religion or political views or so on and then you use the financial data somehow to to uh get you like feel closer to each yeah. other and yeah and so no, on. that's a really good point I, yeah no that's totally true i think um from that perspective i really believe this whole embedded banking trend will be will be boosted by the next developments of pc2 and open banking in the uk and so on which um yeah which is what you just said that you take banking products and you add more context to it of course yeah, it, exactly this could be what, what tomorrow and enfuse is doing with like uh, sustainability features um but um yeah as a simple example uh, business customers how often do you log into your bank account and just to see your statements it's it's a super stupid process why would you do that um you could basically um have everything in your accounting system and i think like zero most of them are doing that already but mm. you could could do more and more like why shouldn't you get factoring directly in your accounting interface and op in finland has done that yeah um, with a corporation um and i think more of those use cases um, some kind of cash management advising and like you could yeah. uh, you should bring it all into this one place yeah this what yeah this is yeah. one thing like really embedding those banking services smartly um in new contexts and and yeah like th this whole topic everyone everyone can be a fintech or a bank if they want to i think yeah like not not for everyone it makes sense but i think there are a lot of different very interesting use cases from like travel agencies to um in berlin for example there's a new service called gorilla and they do your grocery shopping within 10 minutes or even faster Yeah, and that's actually cool. I, yeah, yeah, and I, I all of their try that. <laughs> yeah, and all of, all of their um, like employees that get those grocery groceries together for the clients, um, every one of those could have either a plastic card or some some wallet card to make those payments. And and you can really, as a CFO of that startup, you can then set limits so that you can't overspend with that card or something like that. So that you know um, you can basically have really efficient operations through cards that are directly integrated in your business model no one is offering something like that yet so that um, for example the delivery driver pays for the customer's payment with a certain card i think that's that's um, the doordash example yeah. in the uk um, which makita has delivered and that and those those cards that all of the different delivery drivers are using has been part of really increasing the operational efficiency of, of DoorDash and of those delivery services. And I think more and more of that would be possible um, if non-financial companies um, would have the, the capabilities and access to those new tools which are coming up. Um, so the question is if banks will provide those tools for other companies to really use their banking functionalities in their own context. I think that needs a lot of technology expertise and really good APIs and and um, new revenue models. But as I would say this is definitely uh, a future vision. I hope that this this would um, yeah be uh, materialized in the future. Exactly, and <coughs> and uh, I think the, um, like the technology setup for a bank is. It's not uh, when we kind of in the beginning of open banking we thought that it's it's this clear structure where the yeah. bank offers an API to a startup and the startup is doing something on top. It's kind of for me it feels like it's moving to this more complicated structure of yeah. chain of different services. Uh, bank can be part of the, or like 
can be part of the chain, yeah. but they need to choose which part of the chain they want to be, yeah. and then they need to figure out also the partners on the right and the left hand side exactly, to yeah. collaborate with, yeah. and uh, and then be really good in that one in order to deliver something because their place can be taken by Bavader yeah. X or or the same outcome can be built with different tools. I think that's kind of the biggest yeah. thing with this modular approach yeah. that you can actually reach the same. You know, if your end uh, game is to create an account and a credit card, yeah. like this, I don't know, fifteen thousand different ways of technically to build it up. Yeah. But the outcome is the same. Yeah. And if you then, if you the like a fintech startup builder, for sure you choose different like you look at the different options and yeah. you choose the one that is the easiest and the cheapest for you to make yeah and then you choose that one and then that might actually that decision might yeah. drop these some of the banks out of the game yeah yeah I, f- I think not every bank will have the resources to really invest in those new offerings tech yeah. offerings um so that's why i think really everyone needs to find his own position in the value chain um which makes it really exciting yeah. exactly exciting exciting times ahead but yeah that's about right. open banking and uh thanks for listening for yep. from our side and uh looking forward Until for the next, next discussion bye bye